Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly broadcasting live from the Internet Law Center in sunny Santa Monica, where it will be 74 degrees today for you struggling back in the Northeast with your blizzards. Um, You're welcome to visit, and uh, we probably will be soon. We have a great show for you today, and if you want information on today's show, it's available on our blog at um, cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. And as also, please check us out, Internet Law Center, uh, internetlawcenter.net. We're in the heart of Silicon Beach, right here in sunny Santa Monica. So um, today's show, um, we, um, I guess we're going to start with a quote that you might recognize. Um, I see a red door and I want it painted black. No colors anymore. I want them to turn black. Yes, this is the grim day between Fat Tuesday, also known as Mardi Gras, and Chinese New Year. So so today is Ash Wednesday, which begins the 40 days of Lent. And on that theme, we have Frank Pascal from the University of Maryland Carey School of Law in Baltimore to talk about his new book, Black Box Society. Um, Slate's David Orbach said... um, Pascali's notable new book tries to come to grips with the dangers of runaway data and black box algorithms more comprehensively than any book to date. It's an important read for anyone who is interested in the hidden pitfalls of big data and who wants to understand just how qualified our lives have become without our knowledge. Um, He will be joining me shortly, um, but first we have some news updates and shout-outs. The first one is... One question we will have for the professor will be his reaction to the release uh, just a few days ago by the White House of their big data report that says there is no online price discrimination occurring yet. Um, Obviously, they they do recognize that that is a possibility. Be interesting to hear what he has to say about that. Um, We've also had a number of shows about the legal terrain and how it's been changing for patent trolls including um, we discussed the e-associate patent specifically as an example. And most recently we had Joe Volsky on to discuss the Supreme Court's um, patent decisions this June, um, including the Alice decision that limited patents for abstract concepts applied by a computer. Well, last week a Los Angeles federal judge applied the Supreme Court's ruling in Alice to the uh, e-associate affiliate patent and held that the affiliate tracking system was simply electronic bookkeeping and rejected the patent. So congrats to ClickBooth on fighting the patent. Um, That's definitely a major development. Also, um, last week, the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, which covers Maryland, um, among other areas, um, shut the door to um, Spambulance Chasers, um, the Wagner Brothers, and their um, company Beyond Beyond Systems, Um, They had been trying to sue under both Maryland and California law, and the the court rejected it, saying you were trying to get email, and so when you were trying to receive the harm, um, you can't complain about it. And so the court explained, we agree with the district court, the evidence was overwhelming 
that Beyond System consented to the harm it claims it suffered. Um, so this is a major setback um, for them and a big victory for um, companies um, advertising in those areas. And congratulations to Ari Rothman from Venable um, for his work on that case. We've also had on our show um, Delphine Haglin from Reporters Without Borders. And um, Delphine um, has discussed a number of things um, about their operations. One of them is that they put together an annual World Press Freedom Index. And um, as recently as 2002, the United States was ranked um, 17th. Well, unfortunately, for the year 2014, the United States has fallen to 49th behind countries like Niger and Burkina Faso. Um, The report says that 2014 was marked by judicial harassment on New York Times investigative reporter James Risen in connection with the trial of Jeffrey Sterling, a former CIA officer charged on the Espionage Act with giving him classified information. And U.S. journalists are still not protected by a federal shield law that would guarantee their right to name their sources, um, not to name their sources, or reveal other confidential information about their work. Meanwhile, at least 15 journalists were arbitrarily arrested during clashes between police and demonstrators protesting in Ferguson. So um, another major development we have is in Iowa. Um, We've been talking over over the past past several months and even had a full show devoted to the ongoing criminal investigation into a ripoff report um, by Ben Smith in Sac County, Iowa. And that case just gets interesting and more interesting um, and the latest development is that um, Ben Smith is seeking to disqualify Ripoff Report's lawyers because they attempted to bribe him on Ripoff Report's behalf. Um, so we we don't know when that will be heard, but definitely this case just gets more interesting every time you look at it. So we do have a few shout-outs today. Um, today is the 72nd anniversary of the arrest of the leaders of White Rose a nonviolent intellectual resistance group in Nazi Germany that consisted of mainly of students from the University of Munich and their philosophy professor. Um, they were arrested on this day and then eventually beheaded. And their um, story was dramatized in the film Sophie Shaw, The Final Days, which was released a few years ago. And I, I recommend it to you. I saw it. It was a great film. Um, but we definitely want to honor their courage and, uh, Remember that there were some who had the courage to speak out during those dark days. And I have another shout-out. This one I'm going to read directly from my good friend Dan Hull um, in regards to a fellow friend of ours. Um, congratulations to Renaissance man, D.C. lawyer, super friend, super father, and American hero Eric O'Neill on the 14th anniversary of the arrest and capture of FBI operative Soviet spy Robert Hansen, in which Eric played the pivotal role. All Americans owe you a debt of gratitude, Eric, indeed. And Eric's a fascinating man. Um, he, his, um, we have on our blog him talking about um, that the moment of actually um, how they caught Hansen. And uh, you know, if you ever catch him, there are a number of interviews he's given on YouTube. Um, he's a great storyteller, and obviously it's a very dramatic story. Um, so I encourage you to check it out. And again, Eric, um, thanks again. Um, your work was were quite pivotal. Um, Mr. Hansen was one of the worst double agents in American history. Um, finally, and Brasco, if you're listening, um, since 2000, what Beatle or Beatle family member has had the most number one hits on a U.S. chart? Any guesses, Brasco? Right. You were very close. It's actually Yoko Ono. She's had a number of her songs converted to dance charts, and she's had a string of number one hits in two thousand, um, in the two thousands. And um, she turns eighty one today. So uh, happy birthday, Yoko Ono! Keep on grooving. Um, Actually, this, some people think it was, Linda, it was Linda who broke up the Beatles. Um, she was the, the business person behind Paul, and uh, she came from the Eastman Kodak um, family and uh, a lot of money there, and they wanted to – some people think Linda did. But um, any event, did you see Paul on Saturday Night Live's um, 40th anniversary? 
Yes. I remember during the, the peak Beatle days, there was uh, this whole meme that Paul was dead. And one of the songs ended with, I buried Paul. And I, while watching the... Well, yeah, while watching the um, Saturday Night Live special, I actually tweeted that you know, whoever buried Paul <laughs> needs to needs to find them and put him back. Uh, he was awful, um, but so but maybe he should try the Yoko Ono route. You know, no wings was okay, but I'm I'm I'm, I'm more of a Leninite myself, so I guess that's why I'm, I'm giving a shout out to Yoko. But. Um, no, he did. He did well. Um, but transitioning from Yoko to Maryland, which obviously didn't normally associate together, uh, um, we're gonna um, we're gonna be um, traveling um, electronically today to this great state of Maryland, uh, which where I actually began my legal career uh, when I took the Maryland bar twenty five years ago this month. Um, and so we're gonna be talking to. Um, professor Pascal, who is a professor at the University of Maryland there in Baltimore. And uh, I actually, my senior thesis in college was a comparison study of downtown Baltimore and downtown D.C. So uh, I spent a great amount of time in Baltimore. It's a great city. No, I did not. <laughs> I don't, I, actually, it's interesting. I, I took a, um, I took a, uh, I studied for a while at the John Hopkins University. And the first time I was there, I was doing research. I saw a mugging, and uh, um, some woman, some guy grabbed some woman's purse, and I actually chased the guy twelve blocks. And um, he finally, but before he lost me, so I would not. Have, I would have been the other part of the wire, I guess. I'd be the the, the chasing people part, but no, none of that either. But. But Baltimore, I mean, it's a great city. Have you been to Baltimore? It's a great city. Um, obviously, what they've done in the waterfront, I mean, was once was a complete dump from what I've been told. Um, but they put the National Aquarium there and, and the Inner Harbor um, is just beautiful. Um, and then all the other development, including, you know, um, Camden Yards, you know, Orioles Park there is a great place to watch a game. I have not been to the Ravens Stadium Um but I would love to see the Patriots kick their butt there someday. And um, but I will actually another great place to go to in Maryland is Annapolis, um, the capital. It's a very quaint old capital, one of the great sailing places in the East Coast, and um, that's where I was sworn in as a lawyer um, 25 years ago. And I'll actually, be going there later this this year for a family wedding. So. Maryland, yeah, old Maryland crabs are famous, actually. Um, <laughs> I actually once uh, was with a team of lawyers and uh, from L.A., and we went to Maryland, D.C. to meet with our counterparts, and they took us out for crabs. And luckily, I, I knew this, but they, the L.A. people didn't. The, the thing with crabs is that you work a, a lot to crack open this small little um, thing and get very little food, but in the process of working, you have like one beer for very little food. <laughs> And, and so half of the group missed their flight the next day just because it was too much beer and too little food, and they, they just um, they never recovered. <laughs> so, um, how are we in, in terms of uh, getting Frank? We need to take a break now, or okay? So we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to jump to the great state of Merlin, um, as they say. And we'll have Frank Pascal and we're talking about Black Box Society. So we'll be painting it black after these messages only from Webmaster Radio FM. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. When you started your business, you first listened to your professors. Now that your business is growing and gaining ground, you only seek out professionals. PPC Professionals, an industry leader for highly optimized search marketing campaigns with over 30 years of combined management experience. Our professional approach to every campaign helps you find every avenue of revenue so that you can not only stay ahead of your competitors, but get a return on your investment and increase your bottom line. PPC Professionals, personal, professional, PPC services. PPCProfessionals.com. 
InternetMarketingINC.com is one of the fastest-growing full-service digital marketing agencies in the country, specializing in providing results-driven online marketing solutions. Internet Marketing Inc.'s passionate team prides themselves on staying ahead of marketing trends to create and implement campaigns that get more traffic to your website, gain positive brand awareness, and drive conversions. If you are looking for a data-driven approach to online marketing and advertising, call Internet Marketing Inc. today at 866-563-0620 or visit internetmarketinginc.com. ShipStation helps online retailers ship orders faster. It's so easy to set up and use. ShipStation gives you tools to automatically import, manage, and ship your orders in the most cost-efficient way. Save money with the best USPS rates possible, as well as a free USPS account. ShipStation integrates with all the most popular e-commerce platforms and shipping carriers. Get shipping done no matter where you sell or how you ship. WebmasterRadio.fm listeners get an additional 30 days free after the free 30-day trial. Go to ShipStation.com slash Webmaster Radio now. Shipping Nirvana starts here. All-Inclusive Marketing is the luxurious five-star resort of digital marketing. Welcome to All-Inclusive Marketing. Engage with All-Inclusive Marketing's award-winning strategists to ramp up your online profitability and brand exposure, driving new customer acquisitions, increased sales, and stronger buyer retention. Another mojito, please? All-Inclusive Marketing's full-service digital and performance marketing accommodates every brand, specializing in retail, travel, and software as a service. What a great room. The A in All-Inclusive Marketing means award-winning winning leadership, excellence and results, as well as an A rating by the Better Business Bureau. For reach, engagement, and conversion, it's all-inclusive marketing. Reserve a free consultation today at allinclusivemarketing.com slash radio. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is authoritylabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is AuthorityLabs.com. The best. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use CertifiedKnowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back, and I have with us um, University of Maryland School of Law professor um, Frank Pasquale, who's the author of The Black Box Society. And um, Frank has been um, with the University of Maryland and uh, definitely exploring a number of interesting issues in terms of data use and privacy. And he's on the board of the advisory board of the Data Competition Institute, um, among other things, at the Electronic Privacy Information Center. So, Frank, thank you for joining us. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. And uh, people at Maryland are doing some really interesting things these days. And so uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the University of Maryland before we start? Absolutely. Um, the law school at the University of Maryland is in Baltimore. There's a, another campus at College Park where that has sort of engineering, computer science, others. And in Baltimore, we're a professional services campus mainly. We have a med school, law school, nursing, pharmacy. And, you know, in our cyber law group, we have uh, James Grohlman, um, Danielle Citron, and myself. Um, and we have several other professors that work, you know, tangentially in the area. And the three of us have really been exploring a lot about how to make the internet a fairer place. Um, how to sort of and how to apply old laws to new contexts online. And yeah, I think you guys have done a great job. I think in terms of um, you know 
law schools today having an impact in, in cyberspace. You guys are definitely up there among the top. Um, and, and part of that contribution is obviously yours with the Black Box Society. And um, so the black box refers to actually the an airplane block, black box, correct? That's right. Well, thank you so much for your kind words about UMB. And um, absolutely, that was the main reference is that you know, the airline black box, you have this uh, recorder that's keeping track of 30,000 data points that hopefully, you know, if something goes wrong, we'll be able to look at that recorder and see uh, exactly what went wrong. And I try to use that as a metaphor to say that's how a lot of us experience daily life now with our cell phones are constantly monitoring not just uh, where we are, but now cell phones can monitor you know, your heart rate at any given time, or they can monitor how you walk um, exactly. and what you're saying, etc. Um, but there's another meaning to black box too, which is this idea of something where inputs come in and outputs go out, but we don't know what happened to them. Right. And that's what's happening with a lot of our data. It goes into these big companies and something comes out and characterizes us, but we don't really know how it was transformed. And I guess, you know, it's, um, it's become, I guess, the anecdote that a lot of people are talking about is the whole target um, sending a notice to um, one of its customers with coupons for, I guess, pregnancy-related items, and which you know, she was only 15 years old, which kind of incensed her father. Um, but it turns out Target was right. Yeah, that was a very spooky thing. And, you know, it's amazing to consider how they were able to do this because once they had a database of about a million customers, I believe it was, who were uh, had shopped at Target and who had registered for their pregnancy, um, uh, they had sort of registered as, as pregnant. They told Target that. Target was able to look at those people and to say, oh, wow, 83% of those people bought a blanket within two months of, of delivery or... 50% of them bought a certain type of bag within six months of giving birth. And, you know, you have enough of those data points, and then you can pretty probabilistically recognize just by someone's buying patterns whether they're pregnant or not. And what's really funny about that story, too, is that when Target got in a bit of, uh, there was a bit of controversy over that. People were saying, hey, wait a second, you know, you know that I'm pregnant before my parents do. Uh, this is very troubling. Well, they could have sort of notified people and let them know, well, we're profiling you this way or you're getting these ads because of what we believe you're pregnant. But what they did instead was they just started mixing in more non-pregnancy ads with the pregnancy ads. So, <laughs> so, so in a way, like the black box persists, right? I mean, even though the story has been told, you know, how many teenagers now are going to ever read that story and know? And, you know, they may never know that the company even knows that they're pregnant because now it's being hidden in a certain way. Right, and then there's you know it's, if you're if you're EPT you're you're panicking because and what if they stop buying your products and just go to Target instead? Uh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> right. No, exactly, exactly. Yeah, but it, it, it it's an anecdote because it tells you something that there's data being collected about you from things that you're you're not maybe not even aware that um, data is being collected about or that conclusions are being reached. And in one area that seems to be, and I think you touch on, and um, that's very concerning, is and, and which this anecdote also addresses to an extent, is is health issues, and um, whether you have you know, diabetes, depression, or you name it, and um, in in light of now the Anthem data breach, when not only is all this confidential information about you know the person's, um, you know. Social Security number and all this other information to be made available. Potentially, um, medical histories becoming available and being able to be used by people for blackmail or other purposes. Um, what what does um, the Black Box Society say about um, this age where we collect this information and how do we use it? That is a great uh, thing to bring up. That Anthem data breach and. One of the things that I try to get across in the book is we have to start rethinking the nature of security and the nature of our data online because of all of these data breaches. And I think we as a society, if we had a judiciary that was courageous enough and empowered enough by the right statutes to impose real penalties when there's a data breach, then we could 
rely on, I think, big firms to come up with, on markets and on big firms to come up with great technology to really lock things down and secure things. But what we're seeing now is, you know, a company like Anthem, I believe they had trouble last year. A company like Sony, before its giant breach, had had a long history of issues in terms of security. And we're essentially seeing the development of this Wild West because there's just not adequate penalties for, for against a firm uh, who loses data. One thing that I thought was just really surprising with Anthem was that they are refusing to even pay for $15 uh the uh, credit report freezes that people want that are really? that cost fifteen dollars apparently. Yeah, they're <laughs> not paying for that. And and my thought is like, you know, you're probably only going to get a thousand people that actually do that. Maybe exactly. you get a hundred thousand. You know, yeah, the PR but, harm of not doing it plus the possible ire of the FTC, you would seem right. to mitigate against that. That's right. That's right. You know, it's, I, I think that's very problematic. And, you know, maybe eventually there's going to be something that will be so devastating that, you know, they're, they're going to, I guess one good point of the Sony breach is that at least the, the CEO is, is gone. But there's, apparently there's a penalty to that extent and future CEOs are going to have to think about. Target um, lost their CEO too after their breach. That's right. That's right. And Target also was a pretty troubling actor. The Business Week story afterward broke a lot of news about uh, them ignoring the problem for some time. And the same for so, Home Depot, you know, maybe that's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, so I guess in, the... in looking at it in this light, um, and, you know, for example, Anthem, they had just recently settled um, claims with a couple of state regulators for their slowness in responding to the last data breach. That's right. And and it's it's amazing to me, and that's one of the things, that, a theme in the book is, you have a company getting in trouble, and then the day it settles one case, you know, a week later, a month later, the same case happens. That's like the whole set. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It becomes a cost of doing business. Yeah, and the, I think that is the, the that is the problem. I think today, I think I do. Uh, you know, I, I believe in market incentives, and that when they're not there, government has to help create them. And I don't believe that there is at present a market incentive to to give data security the the priority it needs. And you know, already analysts are predicting that 2015 will be the year of health related data breaches. So more or less, just you know, just you know, um, to <laughs> to paraphrase Betty Davis, you know, fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy year. <laughs> That's right. And the thing about the the year of data breaches is. We're now starting to see, you know, it used to be that people would say, okay, there was a breach, but really, what are they going to do with your data? And we know that with social security numbers and birthdays and, and other data, they might start bank accounts, and that's troubling, but, you know, people weren't that worried about it because they felt eventually, even if it would cause them a lot of hassle, they would eventually be indemnified. Um, but now we're seeing the development of these black data, black markets and data uh, mm-hmm. in health data. And there's, it's been documented that a company, a life insurance company that had a huge number of medical records that were applications for life insurance, that that has shown up in a black market where they were selling it to people. Um, who knows for what purposes? But, you know, it, it, if this gets really out of control, we could be living in a world where essentially if anybody wants to find out key aspects about your medical record, they just have to go to one of these uh, black market sites in the Ukraine or the dark web and pay a few bitcoins and there it is so (laughs) it's scary and one of the themes in your book is isn't just that the data is being collected it's that who it's being shared with is not you you talk about you know the whole theme of the black box that we don't know what goes what's happened once it goes in there and you don't know who it's being shared with and i think you believe that should change that you know people should learn more about um how their information is shared and with whom Yes, yes. I think that's exactly right. And I think that, you know, that's, that's an area where, you know, we, we really have to spend a lot more time thinking about how are, how is the data being used and how can the data be sort of gotten rid of, or at least people can be penalized for using bad data, inaccurate data, or inappropriate data. So to me, uh, the, I hope that the folks that work in encryption and the folks that work in technical and administrative safeguards for data, I hope that they succeed. But I also want us to be thinking about a world where if an employer gets some of this data, either licitly or illicitly, that they can't use that to fire people for being sick. 
you know, and that, that we know if they're doing that. You know, I mean, we already have laws, the disability laws, that prevent employers from firing people just for being sick or for having a disability condition. But what we really need also is to know that whether if the scores that the employers are using or other data that they're using are affected by health data. And until we know that, then we're leaving the barn door open to a very broad new category of discrimination on the basis of inappropriate or illegal data use. And I think that's been the concern that's been addressed by the FTC. They, you know, they had a big, um, you know, big data symposium in which you know, they, they focused on that issue. And the White House just recently released a report on big data in which they, in its use online and whether or not it was being used to discriminate in pricing um, based on yeah. characteristics. And you know, their initial conclusion was it is not, being, it is not occurring yet. And I was wondering what you thought about that conclusion and, you know, whether the caveat of yet is, you know, one of hope or one of inevitability. Well, you know, I have to uh, admit that I have not read that report very carefully, but I have looked at some of the initial conclusions. And I just in terms of it not happening, I find that a strange thing for them to say because it's pretty clear that there was uh, research done by uh, the Wall Street Journal, and I think even by Ashkan Sultani, who I think may now be a uh, technologist at the, F- at the FTC, um, saying that Staples had used certain algorithms to charge more to people that who, who did not live near a Staples store. Um, so I think that and, and Andrew Lusko has worked on this. There's some very good recent work out there on price discrimination that documents some of the strategies of firms to uh, use price discrimination, or at the very least, um, there's documented reports of people using a PC getting lower-priced options than people who use a Mac. The presumption apparently <laughs> being that people who use the Mac are rich, are richer than the people using the PC. So As I stare at both of mine at the moment, but, you know, PC and Mac. Um, <laughs> so if you're feeling spendy, you can use the Mac, but if you want to save, you can use the PC, I guess. That's <laughs> <laughs> So uh, yes, and so that is a problem. And um, but the other problem is then okay, how do we get to a point where we're informing people what's being disclosed, and do you do that through disclosures and in websites where nobody reads, or you know how is this done? You know, I think that there's we've got to have a number of strategies, and I don't think that we can just sort of tell people, hey. You're, you have a right to call a data broker and find out if they have a file on you because the problem now is that there are at least 4,000 data brokers. So, you know, you, someone could spend, take it as a full-time job to keep track of it all, right. and they couldn't necessarily do it. What I've proposed is that, first, all of them have to register with the Federal Trade Commission, and second, that consumers can go to the Federal Trade Commission and say, look, if I'm put on a list as... A certain, in a certain disease group, a certain political right. group, a certain whatever, as soon as I'm put on that list, they have to notify me of me being put on that list. And then I get a choice, chance to look at it, to look at the record it's based on, to dispute it, etc. I think that that would at least slow it down a little bit so that uh, there, were, there would be some parties that could object. You, you, raise, you raise a good point. And um, you know, one, one anecdote, and the anecdotes obviously are limited, but are also instructive, and, and one instructive anecdote as I've, you've discussed in the past has been the that of the Axiom CEO. You know, what do we have to worry about? Data is data. You know, it, it is what it is, and you know, surely it, it must be right, right? Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and, and I know that there are clearly there's clearly evidence that that was not the case. You know, that there were like real issues with some of this stuff. So yeah, it is. And, and I think the other problem with Axiom is that they allowed people to access data, but they gave them a very limited set. And some people said that in order to access the data, you had to give them even more data to prove that it was actually you. Right. They got hammered in the press over that. But you know, why, <laughs> why don't you tell the story about the act? You know, if you could recount the, uh, the story about the Axiom CEO and the accuracy of the data on him. Oh, right. So, yes, yeah, so it turns out that, you know, he himself, that they had lots of errors even on their own CEO. You know, and, and part of this is that these companies will often say, look, we don't have files on individual people. We just have all these lists. We'll have a list of like 1 million diabetics and we'll have a list right. of 1.5 million depressives and we'll have a list of all this. And 
But the problem is that I don't really buy that because I also, in the book, discuss some of their role in terms of the national security context and providing data to the government. And I can't imagine that there aren't certain applications there where they do aggregate simply everything about uh, a person or at least a social security number or a persistent IP address associated with that person. So I I think that it's um, there's got to be more to it than that. Now, yeah, and um, for those who aren't familiar, Axiom, which is um, you know, based in Little Rock Caddy Corner from the Clinton Library, um, is a, a huge um, player in, in big data. They, they are a credit bureau and a data aggregator, um, definitely you know, one of the biggest in the space. And you know, the irony of them having wrong data about their own CEO is... It you know, can't be understated. <laughs> yes, yes. No, absolutely. You know, and and I think it shows also where, ideally, they would take a lesson of this to be that we need to bring in people, let them know what's in their data, and let them correct it, and that'll be more accurate, right? Right. You know, and that, I hope that they they get learn that lesson from it. Well, the lesson, but apparently the lesson was you, we'll open our doors if you open your pockets even more and give us more data. Um, so That's they, right. <laughs> it wasn't quite executed very well. Um, so where where do you where else do you think we need to make changes in in terms of this black box society? I think that we have to start working in general toward a more intelligible society. So part of that is that we have to be able to understand how, say, the algorithms behind Google or Facebook work. Somebody outside of Google or Facebook has to understand how they're, in the case of Facebook, ordering stories on people's timelines, in the face of Google, um, ordering arrangements of websites or books or other opportunities. People outside have to be able to understand that. Right now, there's very little transparency about exactly how these systems work. In the financial sector, I also think that you know there there are so many situations in finance where things people are sort of being kept in the dark, and I think we have to respond to that as well, and try to create also some public options that are uh, more straightforward. Um, so there are all these sort of very complicated investment plans or complicated investment vehicles out there created by mega banks. We need some public alternatives to those, and I think that would really help a lot. Um, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, and that I think is sort of the, the key in those two. Since we talked a lot about the reputation industry at the beginning and the data, data about individuals, um, I, and I do think in that industry, people should essentially have a right to see all the dossiers about them and have a right to annotate, to correct, to dispute them. Um, and I think until we have that, that, that industry is going to be increasingly um, uh, hurting people's reputations without recourse. Now, you know, one anecdote, and I forget if this was from your book or was from the reading I did related to your book, but was the, uh, a study that found that if you typed a woman, if you typed uh, um, a Google search with a, an African-American type name, ads that would come up would be related to, you know, remove your criminal record or stuff like that, whereas if it was a, a white sounding name, a, a different result came up. Yes, that's right. That's right. And that I thought was a very troubling result. And what the companies involved said was, oh, well, this was just because people that were searching for the African-American names overall, they, were, they would click on those names. And they would click on the names when like a prison reference came up. And the people on the other names clicked on them more often when it, they said, found that person. And so they tried to sort of get out from it and say, oh, it was the users and it wasn't the makers of the algorithm that are responsible. But my view is that, you know, they have to step up and take some responsibility and they have to be able to say, once they found out the problem, at least once they found out the problem, they really ought to um, be very careful about trying to mitigate that and trying to at least explain the results. And I think hopefully even suppressing them because they just are, they're pretty offensive. So you, you, this book came out in the fall and you've been obviously talking in a number of different forums on this. Um, what has the response of the data industry been to you? Uh, total silence. <laughs> it's really what's very strange to me is that um, they have. I published a pretty prominent editorial in the New York Times in October, and another one in January in the LA Times. That um, I would have expected somebody from the industry would have responded and said oh, wait a second, we're not that bad, or these are horror stories, but in general we act well, etc. Um, I've heard nothing. And I think that's for two reasons. One is that I think the industry at present is so powerful, especially given that they have a lot of data that's important to political campaigns, oh. that they feel essentially untouchable. 
Um, and what's really surprising there is that 84% of Americans say that they do not want personal, ad, personal information used to target political ads to them. They think it's, you know, for, for good reason. They think it's going to be dishonest. They think, you know, the candidate's going to say one thing to me because he knows that I'm a 40-year-old white male, and he's going to say another person to that person because he knows that they're a, uh, they have $2 million in their bank account and they're a 70-year-old retiree or whatever it is. So that, I think, is, is pro- people don't want these ads, but politicians love them. And so that's a problem that you have sort of the industries being so essential to political campaigns now that it, it can be, can't be regulated. Yes, indeed. But on the more positive side... You know, maybe they're just maybe maybe they're trying to plan to respond constructively. I don't know, but they they did not respond to me so far. All right, we're going to take a short break, but yeah, he makes a great point. I mean, when um, big data is partly responsible for Obama winning and even the Germans winning the World Cup, how do you how do you argue with that? Um, but right. we'll be we'll be uh, talking more about that after this break. You're listening to the Cyber Law and Business Report only. Uh, webmasterradio.fm. We'll be back after these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names of best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investment. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at mock speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Introducing Rumble, the smart mobile management system, the first end-to-end mobile platform where you can make real-time app modifications from a point-and-click dashboard. Want to change the design of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the ad map of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the content mix of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Power your mobile business with Rumble. Are you ready to rumble? Visit www.rumble.me. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back. This is Bennett Kelly. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report. We have Frank Pasquale. He's a professor at the University of Maryland School of Cary School of Law. Who is Mr. Cary? I, I keep forgetting. Is that the former governor? Um, he is a businessman and benefactor of many educational institutions in Baltimore, and um, he's a really forward-looking. Uh, he's been a real forward-looking leader in Baltimore. Okay, I, I thought was there a governor Carey at one point? You know, I just came here in 2013, so I have I'm not quite up on my Maryland history, but I <laughs> <laughs> but there may well have been. It goes back a little way, but. Um... <laughs> Any event. So um, we were t- we only have a few minutes left, but we were talking about what um, you, you were saying. How you, you don't see a lot of political will to address big data, um, just because it is very useful in political campaigns. And um, so, what what can consumers do to alter that balance? You know, I think that one of the things that we have to start considering is not necessarily our role as consumers. But our role as investors, and even you know, a small investor, but even someone who has some influence uh, in over their 401k account, or that can try to band together large number of people that have 401ks or uh, pension funds or what have you. I think when pension funds start paying attention to an issue, sometimes companies really start to respond to that issue, 
And I'm hoping that, you know, more of them become enlightened on these issues and try to respond. Um, I mean, I do think consumers can avoid the worst companies, you know, and people should be looking at who's worst in privacy, who's worst in, in finance, who's, the, who's worst in search. Um, but I think that overall, and maybe that's the other key, is that as a consumer, start looking, uh, start avoiding the worst companies. <laughs> do you care to highlight any of the worst or the best? You know, I I feel like in finance right now, HSBC has been busted so many times and has done such egregious things that you know they're they're angling for it. It's pretty hard to win a title of worst finance company, but boy, they're they're trying hard. Well, it's it's kind of fitting because also you have a, a colleague at the University of Maryland who um, has a book out. On, on whether or not we should be jailing corporations, um, would 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 HSBC be a uh, be a prime candidate? I could certainly see that. I mean, that's my colleague Rena Steinzer, who's um, done amazing work in terms of uh, thinking about the future of the regulatory states and thinking about what would actually lead to deterrence. And what's interesting is one of her main case stories was this case involving a big mine in West Virginia that collapsed, and I believe that. After years of investigation, they they are actually going to potentially uh, criminally charge this guy. I mean, maybe they already have, but I think mm. that's that's an area where you know criminal charges may be necessary. I believe, at the very least, penalties should involve for people involved in very serious financial or privacy or antitrust related crimes. Uh, the penalty should involve a substantial portion of the person's net worth. It's you know if you look at Angela Mozilla, for example, from Countrywide in the financial crisis engaged in very troubling behavior, um, he walks away with $160 million. Now, he lost $130 million, but when you have $160 million, you're doing pretty well. You know, right. it, it, it's the it's old not saying, a how do you get a small fortune? Start with a big one. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so um, in exactly. a few minutes we have left, if, if people want to learn more about you or if you have any, uh, any upcoming events you want to highlight, um, this would be the time to do it. And also, since we are broadcasting from Santa Monica and this is Oscar week, if you want to venture a guest for Best Picture, you're welcome to do so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I am I am utterly at a loss uh, in terms of the, the Oscars. I do look forward to seeing all of the uh, the pageantry this week. Um, but I, I just sort of, I'm really glad to speak with you. And I hope that, you know, between Santa Monica and Baltimore and some other uh, forward-thinking towns in this country, we can get some uh, real action and some real alternatives in cyber law and in finance and, and avoiding some of the black box algorithms there. Thank you. And if people want more information, where should they go? You know, I would just uh, Google Frank Pasquale, um, <laughs> and you'll come up probably with my website. And if you don't, go to at Twitter at, at Frank Pasquale, and um, that's got all my contacts, and I'd be happy to follow up with folks on uh, uh, further information. Yeah, we have on uh, we have your bio on the on the blog uh, at cyberlawradio.wordpress and uh, with at Frank Pascal. You also have a Twitter for the book um, at blckbx. Um, That's right. That's right. Yes. So um, glad to inform you of that. <laughs> yes. And um, yeah, you're you know, actually. Go ahead. I, I haven't kept that one up very well, but I tell if people engage me on that one, I promise to engage right back. So. <laughs> um, yes. And we've also you we've also had other notable um, guests from Maryland and from the university. We actually had Tom McMillan on um, a couple of years ago to talk about um, his experience at the Munich Olympics. Um, since oh, fantastic! Going, yeah, so um, that was a great a great show, and he's a, he's a great guy. Um, but that's the uh, your college park campus where I understand they have a, a little basketball arena. That's right. <laughs> Doing very well. <laughs> so it's been a pleasure. I want to thank you again. Um, so everyone, Frank Pasquale, the book is um, Black Box Society, and it's available at Amazon and all major outlets. Definitely check it out. Very highly regarded and reviewed. And um, you know, just, also you might want to check out the, what's going on at the University of Maryland. There's a number of professors there doing some interesting things. Um, thank you for, for coming on. And um, Next week, we will be talking about the upcoming vote of the FCC on net neutrality. And we have uh, um, Tim Carr from Free Press, who's been with us before, and he'll be joining us again to talk about the vote, which will be occurring the very next day. So happy Chinese New Year to everyone. Uh, I'm not even going to try to torture the Chinese language by saying anything in anything other than English, but um, 
May you have a very prosperous year to everyone. And um, so um, we only have a few minutes left. Brasco, any further comments? Um, no, no. I mean, I really wanted to thank you so much for having me on. And I think that the net neutrality debate also has a very interesting black box angle in terms of network management practices and peering practices. And I do hope that the FCC, as it you know, puts some rules in place here, thinks about uh, should these things be more open? Should there be more scrutiny of exactly what's going on inside these firms? So I look forward to hearing that conversation. It's, it's you know, I think it's a vital debate. And, uh, you know, obviously we were pleasantly surprised by the position the um, Chairman Wheeler has taken, although it will be a political firestorm. There will be a big battle on Capitol Hill. But it's really, you know, the whole thing about, you know, Obama's taking over the Internet is just a misnomer. Um, it's just kind of restoring to what, what had been the, the rule before. Um, so, and, um, you know, net neutrality exists in other countries and does quite well. So, yes, it should be a great debate. And uh, so, everyone back east, please stay warm and safe, um, and you're welcome to visit. Um, hopefully, um, and if you have any comments on today's show, feel free to send us a tweet at Cyberlaw Radio, um, and any suggestions for future topics, we welcome them. So, um, signing off here from Oscar Headquarters. Um, we'll join us next week on Cyberlaw Business Report. This is Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center saying, Quarters adjourned. Have a great week. Thank, thank you very much for, your, for joining us. Bye-bye. Thank you. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.